Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Again tonight, I have a lot to cover and I want to try to get as much of it done as I can. So I'm not going to do a whole lot of review. This will be one of those series that we don't do a lot of review so we can just keep moving forward. Does everybody agree with that? Okay, great. So the last time we were together, we ended up talking a little bit about the Apostle Paul and how I had said um, earlier that he was an apostle, but he was he had a special apostolic office. So he was not the same as the 12 uh, ordinary men that we've been talking about who were also apostles. And we talked about that, but his was a little bit different. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. Um, and we didn't spend a whole lot of time, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Paul because we really want to zone in on those 12 ordinary men, not so much Paul. But I want you to understand the difference, meaning we have a tendency in modern day times to use words very loosely. You know, for instance, people will sit up and say, oh, I just love that perfume. Oh, and then they'll go home and tell their children, oh, I just love you. Now, do you love the perfume or do you love your children? Is the word, you know, we use the term a little too loosely. I would like to think you love your children. Maybe you appreciate the perfume, or you enjoy the perfume, but you don't really love it. So we tend to just kind of do that a lot, where we just loosey-goosey with our words. And when it comes to being an apostle, we're that way too. You know, we have some people, because we do live in a time where there's a lot of self-appointments. We have a lot of people who self-appoint themselves prophets and prophetesses and apostles and bishops and all these wonderful titles. And I just want us for the purpose, well, I would like us to always do it, but especially for the purpose of this study, I want us to be clear on the fact that Paul was a different type of apostle than the 12 ordinary men. So turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. This is exactly where we left off. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. I can just find it. It would be helpful. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we're going to look at it first in the New King James Version, and it says, After that he was seen by James, and we're talking about, of course, Jesus, okay? After that he was, and this was after his resurrection, okay? After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Now, he's talking, Paul is the one who's writing this. Okay, all right. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. If we look at it in the message, it says, the first thing I did was placed before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as scripture says, that he presented himself alive 
alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died, that he then spent time, then, that he then, sorry, tongue twister, that he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am, and I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whenever you heard it from me or, or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth, and you entrusted your lives. Now, I think something that's interesting here is that Paul was not one of these people who was all puffed up and all about himself. As a matter of fact, he looked at himself more as feeling like I'm not even up to the level of, of those 12 initial apostles. So I need to really make sure I am really paying attention and I really work hard and I really do my best. And when you really stop to think about it, even in reading that passage of scripture, you can see he did not leave out the details. He wanted to make sure that everything he, in other words, he tried to make, you know, when you hear the expression, make sure you dot every I and cross every T, that seemed to be the personality or the persona that he took on simply because he really felt like, oh my goodness, look at what God has done in even allowing me to have this special appointment. I am really going to make sure because of look at the mess that I was before. Now you see the thing that I think is so wonderful with scripture is we can always look at something and can always put ourselves in that. Every single one of us that is a believer now, we had a life before we accepted Jesus. And you know what? It probably, I mean, I don't know, maybe you were always wonderful people and that's great and you never did anything wrong and that's wonderful too. But the point is, you might have not dotted every I and crossed every T. You might have done some things that eh, weren't so wonderful. The great news is God still loved you. He forgave you. He put all that mess in the sea of forgetfulness. But don't you think we should at least try to make sure as his representatives that we're doing our best, that we kind of take on that attitude like Paul and say, you know what? Look at what you did. You loved me so much that you changed my life. I can at least make sure that I am representing your kingdom well. I mean, I, it's just, it's one of those things. So I appreciate that about Paul. And I think all of us can learn something from that. The, the thing that, it, yes. He did what? Yes, we're going to get, follow me. Just keep it, it's right, I'm coming right up with it. Okay, here we go. All right, what he was saying was, isn't it true that the Apostle Paul had, you know, like all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? In other words, he had everything the original apostle, the apostles had. Every single thing that was given to those 12 ordinary men was given to the Apostle Paul. He did not lack any of it. As a matter of fact, he spoke with the same authority and was given the same ability as the 12. He was also, and this is what I appreciate, he was also recognized, 
appreciated and embraced by them, even though he was not one of them. Turn with me to 2 Peter. We can all learn something from this too. We really can learn something from this. If you look at it in the Amplified, 2 Peter, the third chapter. So 2 Peter 3, starting with verse 15, out of the Amplified, it says, and consider the patience of our Lord, his delay in judging and avenging wrongs as salvation, that is, allowing time for more to be saved, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him by God, speaking about these things as he does in all of his letters, in which there are some things that are difficult to understand, which the untaught and unstable who have fallen into error twist and misinterpret, just as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, I like this in the easy to read because it breaks it down a little bit more simplistically. And it says, remember that we are saved because our Lord is patient. Our dear brother Paul told you that same thing when he wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. That's what he says in all his letters when he writes about these things. There are parts of his letters that are hard to understand, and some people give a wrong meaning to them. These people are ignorant and weak in faith. They also give wrong meanings to the other scriptures, but they are destroying themselves by doing that. And we could actually put a little tick mark there and say they are... The way anybody who is giving wrong meaning to the scriptures, and yes, they are destroying themselves as a result of it, many of them may be believers who are not filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking with other tongues. You need that to be able to rightly divide the word. There are a lot of people who love the Lord, born again, but they're not spirit-filled. They're born of the Spirit of God. That is how they are born again, which is a wonderful thing. But they're not spirit-filled. They're not using that tool, that gift that's been given to them to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. And therefore, they do not have God's best simply because they're just doing the best they can. And we don't need to do the best we can. We need to do God's best. And he's given us the ability to do that. But we have to go ahead and be obedient and choose that. That's just a little something that had nothing to do with this, but it's for whoever that was meant for. The number 12, this is interesting too. The number 12 for the apostles was clearly significant because it states that after the ascension of Jesus, the apostles chose Matthias to fill the position vacated by Judas Iscariot. In other words, they didn't want to just leave 11. So they went ahead and came up with that 12th person. Turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to look in chapter 1, Acts 1, and I'm just going to share with you verses 23 through 26 in the Amplify. So it's Acts 1, starting with verse 23, it says, And they put forward two men, Joseph, the one called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. They prayed. Notice they did the same thing Jesus did. They prayed. They didn't just sit there and go, oh, let's see. We have these two guys. Oh, this one looks pretty cute. Oh, this one, I don't know. I'll pick that. They didn't do that. They actually prayed and said, you, Lord, you know all hearts, their thoughts, motives, desires. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship which Judas left to go to his own place of evil. 
and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, casting lots, some people look at that and think, okay, they drew straws or something like that. That's not really the, the real deal. Um, a custom of the Jewish people was to write names on stones and then place them in a container, sort of like if we play a game, <laughs> like uh, backgammon, they usually give you the little cup and you put the, the dice in the cup and you shake it and then put it out. Well, this is what they did with names and they put it in a container. That was what they meant when they said casting lots. You will even have some translations who will say drawing straws, but when you really go and do your research and really go into the study of it, that's not what they did, it was not straws. Think about it, do you really think they had straws back then? I don't even know if they did. Okay, so what they did was they wrote their names on stones. So in doing that, Matthias's name is the one that came out. Again, this is like, you might consider it trivia, but it's just kind of like how my brain works. <laughs> in other words, I want all the little details because I guess in some ways, and I just thought of that, thank you. In some ways, I want to be very much like the Apostle Paul, I want to pay attention to the details because I want to glean every possible thing that I can. So that's why I share so much with you. Sometimes it might be like, why is she telling me this? Trust me, it'll come in handy somewhere. Maybe we'll play a Bible trivia game and you'll know the answer to that. But I thought that that was good because I just knew, like I said, reading some of the translations, I couldn't see them sitting with straws. So that just didn't make sense to me. So that's why I dug a little bit deeper on that. Anyway, the role of apostle, including the unique office to which Paul was called, involved the position of leadership and teaching authority in the early church. It was really, really very important. The New Testament scriptures were all written by the apostles or their close associates. Before the New Testament was written, the apostles' teaching was the rule in the early church. Um, the first, the very first converts at Pentecost looked to the apostles' leadership. Peter writes about this in Acts, the second chapter. So just turn over to Acts 2. And we're going to look at verses 36 through 39. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. And I hope you brought your pencil and pad because you can see I'm kind of going quickly. But that's only because I have so much I want to share. And I want to just get it all out. And I know you can go home and, and look at it later. But then again, you guys are so good. You probably are following right along. So anyway, Acts 2, starting with verse 36, and the Amplified says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, anointed, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far away, including the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. That is a very powerful, that's powerful, you know, when you think about it. Okay, now you're already in Acts 2, just drop right on down to the 42nd verse. 
They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. This is something that in modern times we are not doing as much as we could or should. What I mean by that is this. Remember years ago, uh, well, I don't know, years ago, when it was like a two-parent home, you know, and the children would come from school. I'm not talking about when they had latchkey kids. Maybe it's probably back as late as the 50s or early as the 50s, where children came home, everybody sat down at the dinner table together, and they had a conversation, and they went over the, you know, what happened during the day. That's called, yeah, they ate dinner, but it was fellowship. The more we progress in time, we're, we're to a point now where we have technology. I do appreciate technology, okay? My phone is important to me. I have a lot of information in here. However, it does not keep me from sitting down. And if I go out to dinner, I'm not on my phone. When I go out to dinner, I am having fellowship with whomever I'm going to dinner with. That is extremely important. You see, the enemy is going to come at us all kinds of ways. It is not always so blatantly clear. For us as believers, fellowship is so critical. When you sit and you have the opportunity to talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ more than, hi, how are you, that you see them on Sunday, you see them at Bible study, and then you're running to go wherever you got to go to get home, which is understandable. But when you sit and have a conversation with them, that's why Daughters of the King is so special to me. And it's such a precious time. Because ladies come together, and we sit, and we share what's on our hearts. We talk to one another. Iron does sharpen iron. We can then sit and share different things that we have learned, and we have help each other. That's what fellowship is supposed to be about. Why do you think, for one, maybe you don't know this, and this is not in this lesson, but I guess you need to know. Why do you think I purpose in my heart and work so hard for the events here? Do you really think it's because I have nothing else to do with my time and I just want to fill it up with just some more work? Do you really think that? Do you think it's sometimes just for the actual venue or the event. It's not. It's for the fellowship. So many things that I learned in my Christian walk with the Lord came from other brothers and sisters in Christ that I fellowshiped with. And they shared something during that time of fellowship that totally changed my life. Those are those golden nuggets. We get that when we get together and we fellowship. I see and it's, it's, I see in my spirit how November 30th is going to be. I see the joy in the people's eyes, in their hearts. It's going to make a difference. It's going to be significant. Not because we're just going to go there and eat and we're going to get up to dance and all the rest of that. It's the fellowship. It's being able to come together and being able to say, yes, we love the Lord. We can have fun. We can enjoy ourselves. But the key is we can be with one another and we can do this. We need to do more of that. It's lacking. 
And it's something that we have the power to make a mid-course correction and change it. So I encourage you to do that. Don't just wait for Christmas or don't just wait till Thanksgiving to have everybody come over. You can sit down over a cup of a dollar McDonald's coffee and have fellowship. Or you can sit there and have nothing but you fellowship with one another. That is something that's very important. Again, I don't know who that was for, but praise the Lord. <laughs> so anyway, it tells us right here that that is something that they did. And I think that that is extremely important. And you're going to see later on where we actually see that Jesus also did that with them. So obviously, it was important. Now, these 12 ordinary men, the apostles, were given supernatural power to work signs and wonders. Look at Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter. And all of these scriptures I'm going to give to you out of the New King James Version. So it'll be real easy. Um, this is Matthew 10, verse 1. And it says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, look over at Mark's Gospel, the 6th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 7. Mark 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, if we look at, you're already there, just drop down to the 13th verse, and it says, And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Now, look at Luke. Go to Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And all of this, again, is out of the New King James Version. And it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those signs bore witness to the truth of the gospel, which the apostles received from Christ. They introduced what they received on his behalf to the world, just like he tells us we are supposed to do. We're supposed to share the good news of Jesus to the world. He didn't allow us to just become saved and we're supposed to keep it to ourselves like the best kept secret ever. We're supposed to share it. Somebody shared it with you. I mean, you know, so look at it that way. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Well, actually, you know what? Before you do 2 Corinthians, because this goes back to something else, go to Acts 2. Acts, the book of Acts, the second chapter. And again, I'm going to share this out of the New King James Version. And we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. So this is Acts 2, starting with verse 3. Because this goes back again to these 12 ordinary men. Then they appeared... Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we all know this, these verses of scripture, we hear it all the time. But I don't think we always recognize the importance of it. Now you're in Acts, just flip over really quickly to the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verse 12, Acts 5, verse 12. 
and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Again, what I like about this is it shows us that the apostles worked together as a team. They were all on one accord. They weren't bickering at each other and trying to see who had more of this and who had more of that. They were more about the message, about the gospel and making sure they spread it throughout the world. That was what they were called to do and they did it. It's some 2,000 years later and we're still talking about what it is that they did. I mean, I think that that's really very, very impressive. So all of these signs bore witness to the truth of the gospel, which they have received from Christ. They introduced what they received on his behalf. And that's obvious. Go to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at the 12th chapter and the 12th verse. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, the signs that indicate a genuine apostle. I like that. <laughs> I have to pause and say that. Because remember how I told you we have a lot of, we're living in a time where people self-appoint them, themselves to all kinds of things, you know, we, oh, anyway. So they're talking about a genuine apostle, not a self-appointed one. Were performed among you fully and most patiently, signs and wonders and miracles. Now go to Hebrews, the second chapter, and we're going to look at verses three and four. And I'm going to share this out of the Amplified. Hebrews 2. Verses 3 and 4. And it says, How will we escape the penalty if we ignore such a great salvation, the gospel, the new covenant? For it was spoken at first by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us and proved authentic by those who personally heard him speak, meaning Jesus. And besides this evidence, God also testifying with them, confirming the message of salvation, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles carried out by Jesus and the apostles, and by granting to believers the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It becomes quite clear, crystal clear, that the role of these 12 ordinary men was a pivotal, pivotal, talk would be nice, a pivotal foundational role. I mean, none of us would be sitting here as believers today had they not done what they did. In a true sense, they are the foundation of the Christian church with one key component. Turn with me to Ephesians, this is the key. Ephesians, the second chapter, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 22. Ephesians 2, and starting with verse 20, and I'm going to share this with you out of the Amplified first. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone and whom the whole structure is joined together and it continues to increase growing into a holy temple in the Lord a sanctuary dedicated set apart and sacred to the presence of the Lord in him and in fellowship notice that word again fellowship with one another you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit, which goes back to why at the end of every service we say, wherever you are, 
God is, okay? All right, so if we look at this in the message, it says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with just with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He uses the apostles and prophets for the foundation. He used them for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. That is beautiful. I trust, I really do, that you're gleaning something from this particular subject matter so far. These 12 ordinary men are <laughs> fitting heroes and role models for us despite their shortcomings. I find their flaws personally encouraging because it reminds me that I only need to make myself available to be used by God and be obedient to his instruction. We should all be grateful for the office of the Holy Spirit who will guide us and direct us to do even more than these 12 apostles. We simply have to believe the word of God, apply it to our lives, which is critical, and make ourselves available to be instruments for the master's use. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians the first chapter, and we're going to look at verses 26 and 29. 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 and 29. First, I'm going to share it with you out of the New King James Version. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, that's nice. But to be very frank, Unless you're going to sit there and really break down every word, it's sort of almost a little bit like a tongue twister. So therefore, I'm going to share it with you next out of the Amplified, which gives us all the qualifiers. And it says, just look at your own calling. And I want you to listen to this, because this really applies to you. Because so often, we don't think of ourselves as being called. Sometimes we just think of the five-fold ministry. If you're called to that, you're called. Other than that, you're not. No, 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 no. You are called to something. So I want you to listen. Just look at your own calling, believers. Not many of you were considered wise according to human standards. Oh, I love that. Not many powerful or influential, not many of high and noble birth, but God has selected for his purpose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, revealing their ignorance. And God has selected for his purpose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, revealing their frailty. 
God has selected for his purpose the insignificant base things of the world and the things that are despised and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, so that he might reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one may be able to boast in the presence of God. Oh, that is so powerful. The message breaks it down even better. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women, that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. I'm going to pause here. When you see people who are doing that, that ought to make you pause. Because if they're doing that, they're missing the whole entire message. And you will see people stand before you who are very good at doing that. It ought to make you pause. Back to the scriptures. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. That was so, I, I, you have to forgive me. I get really excited over these things. Um, Let's think about the ministry, and this is interesting too. I want us to think about the ministry of Jesus for a moment. Often, whenever we think of him, we see only the fact that he is our personal Lord and Savior. We consider only his sovereignty. I mean, we really do. However, it is important because we want to learn as much as we can. It's important to remember that Jesus walked the earth as the son of man as well, which means what? It means he needed to eat real food and his flesh grew tired sometimes, you know, just like we do sometimes. He actually found that he needed to take naps. I mean, really. Okay, we don't talk about that much, but it's true. None of this was based upon his role as the son of God, but rather the son of man. Now, I am always so grateful and find his love overwhelming when I think of all that Jesus sacrificed just for me. Amen. You need to know that no matter the plight of anyone else in the earth realm, he would have still stretched his arms, and died just for you. Think about what Jesus gave up becoming the Son of Man. He left the comfort of heaven with streets paved in gold, with amenities that we cannot even imagine to walk the streets of this earth where he was not always celebrated. As a matter of fact, when Jesus began his public ministry, he was not readily accepted. He was considered extremely controversial. He began his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. Here go why we say Jesus Christ of Nazareth, okay? People in his own community tried to kill him 
right after his first message in the local synagogue. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, and we're going to read chapter 4, verses 13 through 30. This is Luke's Gospel, and you can turn to this if you have it. This would be good. Luke's Gospel 4, verses 13 through 30. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified because it's got, as we know, the qualifiers. So starting with verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished every temptation, because this, all right, to set this up, we already know, because we spent a lot of time on it, and the thoughts, I, when we talked about uh, the arena of the mind with um, Jesus actually being tempted, so this is at the conclusion of that. So he's already dealt with the enemy, he's been tempted in the wilderness, and this is what's setting up. Okay, so verse 13 is telling us that when the devil had finished every temptation, he temporarily left him until a more opportune time. So now, starting with verse 14, then Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the spirit and the news about him spread through the entire region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised and glorified and honored by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he, was anoint he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release pardon, forgiveness to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. Then he rolled up the scroll, having stopped in the middle of the verse, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down to teach. And the eyes of all those in the synagogue were attentively fixed on him. He began speaking to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and in your presence. And as he continued on, they all were speaking well of him and were in awe and were wondering about the words of grace which were coming from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? So he said to them, you will no doubt quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever miracles that we heard were done by you in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Then he said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But in truth, I say to you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah where the, sky were closed, where the sky was closed up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet, Elijah was not sent by the Lord to a single one of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and not one of them was cleansed by being healed except Naaman the Syrian. And they heard these things about God's grace to these two Gentiles. 
the people in the synagogue were filled with great, with great rage, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built in order to hurl him down the cliff. But passing miraculously through the crowd, he went on his way. Now, we get upset because, you know, if we share something with somebody and we don't see where they're all excited about what we have to share, we kind of catch an attitude and then we don't want to talk to anybody else about it. Think about it. Has anybody tried to literally kill you for trying to, to share anything with them? But yet and still, this is what our Lord went through. Are we better than our Lord? I don't think so. So the point is we need to really be encouraged and just realize we're in the best of company and just keep doing what it is that we need to do. Now, if we look at this in the message, because I kind of like it's shorter, but it's a little clearer for some people. So that's what I'm going to share. It says, starting with verse 14, because I've already set it up. You know that this was after the devil retreated tempor temporarily lying in wait for another opportunity. That was the key there. He was looking for another opportunity to try to trip up Jesus. That's what he really wanted to do. Same thing he's trying to do to all of us. So if we start with verse 14, and the message says, Jesus returned to Galilee powerful in the spirit. See, I like that because it explains it a little bit clearer. News that he was back spread through the countryside. He taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. He came to Nazareth where he had been reared. Okay, I'm going to put a pin here. Notice how it says where he had been reared. How many of you use the term or have had the term um, they raise their children? You don't raise a child. You raise a crop. You rear a child. No, I'm serious. That's another little piece of trivia. But when I, I never thought about that because I used to say that too. Well, you know, I raise my children a certain way. I was like, no, we don't raise them. You can raise a, a tomato plant, but you rear a child. That's just another little tidbit. I like stuff like that. Anyway, so he came to Nazareth where he had been reared. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the burdened and battered free. To announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant and sat down. Every eye in the place was on him, intent. Then he started in, you've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. All who were there watching and listening were surprised at how well he spoke. But they also said, isn't this Joseph's son? The one we've known since he was a youngster? Okay, pausing here. People are going to say, isn't this so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's son? Because, see, they might remember you when you were hanging out at the club, you know, drinking a little Hennessy on the corner of the bar, and now you're trying to talk about Jesus is Lord. They remember that other thing. It's hard for them to understand what you're talking about now. Okay, picking up verse 23. He answered, I suppose you're going to quote the proverb, doctor, go heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you do in Capernaum. Well, let me tell you something. No prophet is ever welcomed in his hometown. Isn't it a fact that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah during the three and a half years of drought when famine devastated the land. But the only widow to whom Elijah was sent was Sarepta in Sidon. 
and there are many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. They said, every, that said everyone in the meeting place seething with anger. They threw him out, banishing him from the village. Village then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. But he, I like this, he gave them the slip <laughs> and was on his way. See, you have to read something that really makes it where you can really understand it. That's why the message is very important sometimes to do that with. So again, we are not better than our Lord and Savior. So when people in your hometown or maybe even your own family cannot appreciate your sharing the gospel with them, do not be discouraged. Don't let it bother you. Rather, realize that you really are in the best of company. However, please do what Jesus actually did by moving on to another territory, so to speak. So the people of Galilee, a much larger region, accepted Jesus just fine. He became very popular, and as the word of his miracles spread throughout the area, droves of people came out to see him and hear him teach. We see this when we look in Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter. So if you look at Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, and verses one through three, in the Amplified, it says, now it happened that while Jesus was standing by the lake of, oh, I love this. Uh, wait, I have, okay. Yes, Gennesaret. Here's the thing. Whenever I come with all these little funny names, I actually go, and you can't just go online and find out how to say it. You have to actually go to a biblical uh, search to hear how they say it. But I have so many other things. It's like, whatever. So Gennesaret, thank you. Ha, sea of Galilee. It's really right by the Sea of Galilee, so they could have just said that, but whatever. They're being literal, so we, we're good with that. Okay, so now it happened that while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding all around him and listening to the word of God, that he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little distance from the shore. And he sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. Now that's interesting. If we look at it in the message, it says, once when he was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat, that was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. That's really gotta be something, when people are clamoring that much and they're that thirsty to wanna hear the word that you have to push away from the shore. I think that's great. Another important characteristic, and this is key, that we can learn from Jesus is that, instead of trying to maximize his popularity, okay, while he was going around teaching, under the guise of reaching more people with his message, he chose to emphasize the things that made his message controversial. In other words, in terms of modern times, if we were to look at it in today's times, okay? He was not interested in how many likes he had on his Facebook page, or how many people friended his page, or followed him like all the social media outlets currently suggest. His message was more the key factor as it should be for us today. 
Now again, social media has its place, but don't get caught up in the trappings of it that you lose the message of who you are, to whose you are, and to what you're supposed to be about. Because your actions can diminish your message. So if you are spending hours clicking on all this social media stuff, seeing how many people like you and how many friends you think you have, some people you haven't seen in 40 years. They are not your friend. Friend is a covenant word. That's just somebody that remembered you and probably talked about you 40 years ago and talking about you behind your back now, okay? Don't get caught up in all that because it diminishes where you're spending time doing, and you gotta watch yourself, because you may not realize you're spending more time doing that kind of stuff, and then if, if, if Jesus were to come into your room right then and say, how much time have you spent on scripture? you like, ooh, okay, because you probably had, you, you didn't have time for that, I got tired, you know, I was gonna go to sleep, I was gonna do it in the morning. All these excuses you come up with, but you had time to see how many people liked you and how many friends you have. Something to think about. Oh, my time is totally up. All right. <laughs> wow, I didn't even realize that. So with that said, we will end right here and pick up next week. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212 749 9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.